Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of Stoke the Fire. As always, we are your humble hosts, Matt Stocks and Jesse Leach. Um, t- talking about lighting, ladies and gentlemen, to start the show this week. And I've got to tell you, Jesse, I look awful. Like, I've just got the worst. I don't, I don't look awful, but can you even see me? <laughs> I feel like I'm in like a German expressionist horror film or something. No, it's like. great. It's great. I love it. The, it's very noir lighting, especially in black and white. It's going to look great. <laughs> yeah. Apologies if you are watching and you can't make out what's going on, but I'm moving house, dude, in a few weeks. I'm finally moving yeah. out of my dad's. I'm going to finally get my own place. It's only taken me a year and a half. And um, when I do, when, I, when I'm in the new place, I think I'm going to invest in one of those circular yes. little desk lights that the influencers on YouTube use to yep. beam some nice radiant you know rays onto my face so people the people at home need to see this face yes <laughs> that's what and, i um, use when i'm home it's great i recommend it oh so you've got one so yeah they yeah. do come recommend my it studio today. yeah yeah and they got different colors you can put on them they're great so today's a day off for you and then tomorrow correct me if i'm wrong is your last show of yes this amazing six-month run with slipknot yeah last show of the year as well yeah a knot fest in la um Wow. And I can't wait to do it. It's going to be a huge crowd. And I also just can't wait to see my lady and go on a road trip. And just, we completed six weeks during this time of touring. It's Zero incre- casualties as well, right? No COVID Zero. cases in, in any of the camps with all four bands? Uh, there was a few in the Slipknot crew, but that got sorted out very quickly. And yeah, no real casualties. The show went on. Amazing, man. And how's it been? Like, you know, we could probably do a whole episode on it, so we'll have to, like, condense it down because we've got an amazing guest to invite yes. on the show momentarily. But if you could sum it up in a, a brief paragraph, the last six weeks. Um, strange. In the picture. Strange if you're used to touring a certain way, but um, my gratitude for getting back to it and my love for the craft and my amazing crew and band, um, it's been great, honestly. Um, I don't wish to do a lot of touring this way. I really don't because I miss getting out and being able to socialize with people and fans. But overall, just very grateful I was able to do it. So, yeah. Amazing. And you get to see your lady in, in 24 hours or less. Yes. I bet, you, I bet you're happy about that. Yeah, I don't want to bore everyone with, with how I feel about it. But yeah, I'm elated. You, you do that on Instagram anyway, mate. <laughs> they, know exactly. you, they know you're a love bug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, cheers, dude. It's really good to see you. And as you can hopefully tell, spirits are high um, and not the liquid kind. I am 11 days off the booze as of today. Congratulations. um, A couple of weeks ago, we had my friend Jake on the show as a guest. He told his amazing story. And then he kind of just mic dropped me at the end and was like, you're going to quit drinking today, here, now. And I couldn't really kind of refuse that 
instigation down you know i'd already planned to stop at a certain date but he was like now that's bullshit you're just going to stop now and because of everything he just told us there was no way that i was even going to like contend you know the gauntlet that he threw down and it was just that final push that i needed so so far so great um life's awesome again i'm at peace i'm happy i'm, I'm inspired i'm positive life's good yes i love yes. it congratulations my man and uh, today's guest is amazing. Um, he is a legend. He signed Metallica when he was 24 years of age. Um, he also signed White Zombie. He's worked with Nina Simone, Cindy Lauper, The Misfits. Um, a previous guest on this show, Mina Caputo. He worked on her debut solo album, which is incredible. He's a New York legend. Um, you're going to be meeting him for the first time in this show, right? I know you've got loads of mutual friends. Obviously, there's kind of lots of cross over and stuff but this will be the first time you guys have properly conversed right which is exciting yeah i've known of him since i was a teenager uh he's a legend and a new york city icon and uh, yeah friend friend to many friends of mine so i'm excited to to hang out with him for a little while well let's get him on without further ado ladies and gentlemen please say hello to the one and only michael alago come on down brother like magic there he is there he is hello <laughs> can you hear me Yes. We got you loud and clear, Michael. Okay. Just so you know, we all look jaundiced. <laughs> ah. Yeah. It's odd lighting all around. <laughs> Especially me. Oh, wait, I see a little thing over here that says this meeting is being recorded. Do I just get rid of it? That got got it? Get rid of uh, it. No, you good. We our end, we can't see can't that, see so it, it shouldn't yeah. come up in the show as long as it's not gonna throw you too much. Just to let you know, Michael, as well. This is being recorded. This is a podcast. Is that right? <laughs> now, do, does one ever say the F word here? Oh, you one say whatever you say want. Whatever one desires, Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm well, sure well, you first will. First of all, Matt, it's so nice to see you. And Jesse, I have wanted to meet you for such a long time. You know, there are artists out there that are good, and then there are great artists, and you happen to be one of them. Wow. And uh, today I actually uh, purchased... Um, uh, 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 songs of lost. What, what is it called? Songs yes. of lost and separation. Yes. And wow, when that record starts, man, you feel like you are being taken on a journey already. Wow. Thank you. So you know, it's it's a beautiful recording. Um, I just ordered it on Amazon today, but every time I pulled up like a video, I I saw that most of the time the lyrics were there as well. And um, I love to carry, what is it, to carry the weight? Mm. I love that. And uh, when you just close the whole thing with forever, it's just so beautiful. It's like uh, the record is like one with the universe. Um, you know, I love when a recording has a beginning, a middle, and an end to it. And that's what this record is. It does. It has, it's, it's, it's complete. And I love that. So thank you, because these days also, there are very few records I want to hear throughout, and there are very few artists that I could say, wow, I love hearing that voice. Oh, that's and, uh, very high praise. I, I, I just love hearing your voice, and I'm glad, fine, this was out of the blue, because when Matt says, do you want to do uh, the show again with Jesse Leach, and I was like, oh my God, yes, I do. So here we are. I'm honored by your words. Thank you so much. High praise. <laughs> yeah, this guy knows a thing or two about music, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Listen, all I can tell you is that I have been a very hard worker my whole life. Like I knew growing up in Brooklyn at 14 years old, 
And Lamar nightclub was uh, six blocks away from where I lived. And I started going there when I was 15 years old. I always knew I wanted to be in the music business, but I don't know, didn't know what that meant because I didn't play an instrument and I had no idea what it meant. Um, so I just was, you know, going to concerts my whole life and until uh, I turned 19 years old. And, uh, you know, I've told people this story already, so I'll make it brief. I was uh, one year uh, at the School of Visual Arts in New York City, and I was taking lunch one day, and I walked down East 11th Street, and I went to this, saw this beautiful building called Casa Galicia. It was a Spanish dance hall. Everybody knows it either as the Ritz or Webster Hall. Uh, in 1980, uh, it was the advent of MTV, and... Uh, it was called the Ritz. And I went in there and it's an art deco building. And it was really, it is really beautiful. And there was a man in the balcony. And I always say, it's like the Wizard of Oz. He was like, kid, what do you want? I was like, I want a job here. And he said, do you have a resume? I said, a resume? I have no, I have no idea what a resume is. I'm a kid from Brooklyn and I go to school of visual arts. Well, he laughed at that. And uh, he said, come up to my office. So I went up to his office and we started talking about music. And it, we talked about everything from the great American songbook from back in the day to what was going on on Top 40 radio, what was going on in the, uh, the, uh, the music scene in New York. And he said, you know what? I like you. I, I'm going to give you a job. You're going to open my mail. You're going to get my lunch and you're going to answer my phone. Little did I know that this guy, Jerry Brand, was an entrepreneur. He started a nightclub called the Electric Circus in the 1960s. He discovered Carly Simon, the voices of East Harlem. He worked in the mail room with David Geffen at uh, William Morris Agency until they both elevated out of the mail room. And Jerry helped bring the Rolling Stones to the United States. He worked with Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke. If I knew all that information, when he was talking to me, I probably would have had a friggin' heart attack and died. But that was the beginning of everything having to do with being in the music business. And um, I guess I went on for way too long, but uh, that was the beginning of me really being a hard worker. You're a hustler, Michael, a straight up hustler. I beg your pardon. <laughs> you giving, you giving me some money, honey? <laughs> it's an inspirational. St every single like chapter and evolution of your journey is so inspiring, um, and, and the the fact that you can walk into a room and just kind of you know seize that opportunity at such a young age is amazing and as you say that's just the start um when you first go to gigs and shows because i imagine we're the same in the sense you've obviously done much more than me but i like you i think started going to shows and realized very quickly i want to be a part of this but i don't play anything so what can i do and i had to find my role mine became this you know doing interviews and talking to artists did you know as soon as you started going to cbs and maxes and you know, or, and Lemoore's and all these local New York venues as punk is exploding and it's all happening. Did you know right away, I want to be a part of this, so I've got to find a way? Well, like I said earlier, I always wanted to be part of the music business, but being a young person, I didn't know what that meant. But I loved all sorts of music. My first concert when I was 13 years old was the last night of the Billion Dollar Babies tour at Madison Square Garden, Alice Cooper. And wow. that changed my life forever. So I would buy the Village Voice which then maybe was a dollar back in the day. And I would go either to the porn sites or to the rock and roll sites. 
both of them were the same thing in my book. So <laughs> I, 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 um, I just started seeing all this stuff coming up. So after Alice Cooper, I saw, oh, my God, Lou Reed is coming to play at the Felt Forum. I would see Lou Reed. And, uh, oh, my God, Todd Rundgren is playing Central Park. And then I, I went to that. And then all of a sudden, I would look at all the advertisements at CBGB. And I went, oh, this sounds interesting. The Dead Boys and the Damned. I'm going. So I had a, uh, my listening was, uh, how do you say, like, um, was varied. I listened to everything. Uh, I, I love all types of music. You know, I still can't get my ears around opera, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, so at a young age, I just started going to everything and um, we can fast forward. And at one point, after three years of working at the Ritz, helping Jerry Brandt be the assistant booking agent, I knew that there was more out there. And I was seeing this guy, Mitchell Krasnow, and he said to me, you know, my dad's going to re-up Electra because um, it was in the crapper. And he goes, I want you to meet my father. His father, Bob Krasnow, had major, major history. And the same thing happened with me. I went to meet Bob Krasnow. We started talking about music, all types of music. And he said, I like you. And I'll give you a bell in about two weeks. I'm going to be setting up my A&R department. So I got a call from him in two weeks. And he said, I'm hiring you. And I was, I practically cried. And um, he said, speak to Ruth in uh, Human Resources and uh, let's get the show on the road. So I had to call some friends of mine in the music business. And I said, what does A&R mean? <laughs> well, they, they laughed in my face, of course. And for the audience that doesn't know what that means, it's um, artist and repertoire. And artist and repertoire is the most important part of a record company. And it's because if you don't find great, not good, great artists and make great records, you're screwed. And Bob Krasnow, the chairman, would always say, you're going to sink or swim. And I intended to swim. And I did that for 25 years. It was extraordinary. I mean, so much happened in that 25 years, uh, of course, or not, of course. But, um, you know, I, I was saying, I don't know if this was on camera, how much I had wanted to meet Jesse. And, uh, you know, in talking about, like, I would listen to cassettes every day for almost 25 years. Um, and I heard lots of good stuff, lots of good stuff. But you can't have good in your life. I, you know, I can't. I needed great. Whether that great was being asked by Cindy Lauper to executive produce a record for her, of course I'm going to say yes. Whether that's hearing James Hetfield from Metallica for the first time, whether that's going to some little dingy box and seeing White Zombie who didn't have one friggin' song, <laughs> but I knew that there was something there. There was a germ of something. And when I talked to Rob, I fell in love with Rob. And he said to me, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to make movies. And I friggin' believed that. And look what happened. I mean, there's, there's a great story in my book. It's, 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 it's called um, I Am Michael Alago, Breathing Music, Signing Metallica, Beating Death. And I did all of those things. Um, and now I have no idea where I'm going with this story. It was going to be a little section from the book, maybe in relation to Rob. Okay, sure, why not? Or <laughs> uh, well, maybe not. No, no, no. I, 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 I haven't shut up yet. But in, in, <laughs> No, it's good. You're making our job easy, man. That's great. Okay, fine. So, yes. So, at one point, um, 
it's so funny because when people ask me about my life, I say, I could tell it to you in 90 seconds. I was at the Ritz. I was at Electra. I was at Geffen. I was at Electra. I was at Geffen. Somewhere in the middle, I was at Palm Pictures. And that's 25 years right there. But we can fast forward because there is a great story about White Zombie in my book. And um, is it the part with the sample? The voiceover. It, it's a sample, and it has to do with Russ Meyer. Who yes, this is a great story. Director of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Yeah. So I see them in this little bar under a restaurant in the East Village on Lafayette Street, and I go all the way to the back, and the stage is about this high off the ground, and uh, my friend Daniel Ray, who was in uh, Masters of Reality, he wrote Pet Cemetery for the Ramones, and Daniel is one of my dearest friends of forty years. He said. You know, he's been, he was showing uh, off a lot of bands in New York that he was working with. He was working with uh, Raging Slab and Circus of Power and White Zombie. Those two other artists got signed to RCA and nobody could give a damn about White Zombie. They were already recorded for Caroline and those records were really uh, noisy. My favorite kind of music. So <laughs> I go there, I listen. They didn't have one song. And like Rob says in my documentary, we didn't have one song. He must have been really drunk. I was, but that doesn't matter. Because <laughs> when I started talking to them, I, I, I got a vibe from these people that these young people on the stage, we were all young people then, um, were wildly charismatic. And, you know, you can't buy charisma. You can't buy that uh, thing, that it factor, you either have it or you don't, you know? So that's why when I talk about greatness, uh, whether we're talking about Jesse and both of his bands or we're talking about James, um, you can't buy that. Oh, I just got, I'm either going to cry or I got goosebumps. Ooh. Anyway. That's, that's how you oh, know you're uh, a real one right there. That's, that's real oh. talk. That's real. I love it. So, you know, I uh, met up with White Zombie. They would come to my house and we would uh, watch black exploitation films and we would watch. I don't know if there was anything like white exploitation, but it was either the Carpenters or Blackula. And we would sit on the floor <laughs> in my living room and we would make these uh, white Russians with Kahlua and heavy on the vodka. And we became fast friends. I knew I was going to sign them to Geffen. I did sign them to Geffen. Um, and uh, they started working on songs because they really needed to work on songs. So uh, my friend Daniel Wright produced them. And Andy, we hired Andy Wallace because we loved the sound of his Slayer records. So that was a winning combination. We put the record out. Uh, what's it called? La Sexorcista. Is, is that your dog, Michael? Have you got a dog? No, that's New York City outside. <laughs> and that's an I ambulance, and that's also New York City outside. Darling, it's about atmosphere, atmosphere. <laughs> anyway, you are, so, you are correct. Right, thank you. Don't interrupt. So, wait, <laughs> wait. Um, okay, now you made me forget. Okay, so we... La Sexorcisto. <laughs> we make the record, and we put it out on Geffen, and I'm telling everybody at the marketing meeting, this is going to sell a million units out of the box, bop, bop, bop. Oh boy. So at about 180,000 units, it just stalls. And so now at the next marketing meeting, everybody is looking at me like, what are we doing, Alago? We gave them a year's tour support. We tried to get them on the radio as best we could. And little did I know that these two little characters called Beavis and Butthead <laughs> fell in love with them. Yep. 
and they start playing uh, the, the single. Thunder uh, Kiss, yeah? Thunder Kiss 65. They were like the tastemakers of the MTV era, I weren't mean, they? As those as, yes, as crazy as that sounds, those two little challenged characters, <laughs> um, they decided that White Zombie were their favorite band. Uh, they would play that song at all hours of the night or early in the morning if you're up all night. And that catapulted it to a million units. Never mind uh, that uh, MTV uh, was already about 10 years old and everybody wanted to be on MTV back then. So while we were making the record, I'm just backtracking a little, but I think the audience will follow me, is Rob wanted to use a sample that said, get up and kill. And I said, well, where is that from? He said, from Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And I said, oh my God, Russ Meyer. I love Russ Meyer. Kate, Kate Natividad, one of my favorites. So I, 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 I am never at loss for words. I have no shame or I'm never afraid to call someone up. I called Russ Meyer and I said, oh, is this Mr. Meyer? And he said, yes, who is this? I said, my name is Michael Alago and I work for Geffen Records. And he said, stop right there. I panicked. He said, you mean David Geffen? I said, yes. He said, do you think he wants to give me $450,000 to finish up, up, the, uh, up the valley of the ultra vixens, ultra vixens? And I said, um, I don't know, but that's not why I'm calling you. And he said, why are you calling me? I'm sitting here with a double hernia and I'm not in the mood. <laughs> I was mortified. I said, well, I signed a little band called White Zombie and we, have, uh, we want to use a sample called Get Up and Kill from Faster Pussy Gang. How much are you paying me? I said, how's $1,000? He said, can you get it to me tomorrow? Now, when you work for corporations and you've got to go to business affairs, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to wait for that check. So uh, I said, let me fax fax talk about old school let me fax you a one sheet sign it and i'll get you the money and i just i wound up getting him the money because i went to business affairs i said gary please you, you really just need to give me the money so he gave me the money we got the we got the um sample cleared and the nice part about all of that is you know like i said the record came out it's it, it stalled it sold a million it sold a couple million and what happened there is russ meyer took a liking to me We had a little bit of a letter, letter writing, letter writing correspondence. And I was just totally flipped out by that. One of my heroes. And at one point he sent me every VHS. Not that I have a VHS player anymore, but I am going to get one again. I'm sure you could find one on eBay of every one wow. of his movies. And that's a lot of yeah. films. That's a lot of films. A lot, right of, a lot of boobs, hon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. Oh, man. I mean, the the size of the kind of letters that you must have hopefully kept and archived over the years from Nina Simone to Patti Smith, um, you know, and, and were guys like Keith Haring and, and Basquiat, were they close friends of yours or were they more like people you would run into around the city? Well, Keith Haring is someone who I uh, ran to around the city all the time. And Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat, um, was friend, we were friendly. Uh, we both went to a high school called City as School. It was an experimental high school. And you, could, you would have classes all around the city. And um, I don't know, we just kind of became friends. We would cut the classes. And there was this brownstone in Brooklyn, 100 Livingston Street. And we would sit there and chat. 
And I said to him, I'm going to be in the music business. And he said, I'm going to be famous. And we both got to do what we wanted to do. And um, he had these little composition books and he would just doodle in them. And if anybody knows or the audience knows what that work looks like, it's a combination of like a child's scrawl mixed with um, Egyptian hieroglyphics and mixed with letting you know that he was black. And um, that's what the work looked like. It was childish and potent. And I remember seeing an early uh, drawing of a, of a piece called Famous Negro Athletes that was in this little composition book. It later became a painting that sold for millions of dollars. He was one of those famous uh, artists that also died at 27, you know, yes. the 27 club. Uh, but yeah, you know, we got to see each other a few times, always on the streets in New York. Later on, Andy Warhol became like his biggest like patron. Um, and uh, he was just extraordinary. He is one of my favorite painters. So if y'all don't know what the work looks like, Jean-Michel Basquiat, he's world-class, world-famous, and uh, gone too soon. Yeah. Like a lot of those guys, there's that Keith Haring documentary um, which aired on the BBC over here recently. It was incredible, incredibly moving story. Um, He was very young. I think he might have been only 38 years old when he succumbed to AIDS. And um, that was very early on in New York City when all we had in the gay community was fear. Mm. That's it. We had fear. Could we talk about that time from that perspective, if you're all right with that, Michael? Because, you know, we've obviously just come out of this global pandemic, but I guess... (laughs) We haven't even begun (laughs) with... What's it called again? COVID. (laughs) I want to see how much I want to forget it. Yeah, same. Two things. And we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do about whatever you want to talk about, Matt and Jesse. But I don't even know what happened in 2020. Like, where were we? Well, I I was isolated in my apartment. I was ready to kick the fucking TV in because I watched too much MSNBC, which you can't do. You know? Um. I was looking out my terrace down 8th Avenue in Chelsea and down in the West Village, and I saw everything getting boarded up. Like, what was happening? It was scary. Very scary. And then here we are in 2021, went by like that. In two months, it's going to be 2022. And boy, this whole year, did I have arguments with friends, unfortunately. You know, there are so many people out there who, uh, and this is not a, um, not pointing a finger, but, uh, you know, I have friends out there who won't get vaccinated and uh, I have a compromised immune system. So unfortunately I I can't be around them. You know, I, I just, I can't be around people like that. And you have your own life. I have my own life. And, um, anyway, um, it's a very tricky world in regard to this, uh, virus right now and it also has nothing to do with who's getting vaccinated who's not getting vaccinated it's tricky because we watch television and the what is it called uh, the nih the cdc every day they say something different about how you can acquire this mm. 
Yeah, that, that I can speak to that because being out here on the road and touring, it, it's just how do you get it? How do you not? We're like in a quarantine situation out here, and people still got it. it it's you got people who think they know one hundred percent what's going on, and to those people, I say bullshit. Like it, like you said, it changes constantly. Nobody's got a solid grasp on the situation, and that's what makes it so difficult to deal with, and it does cause division. And I think the main thing for me as a musician being out here touring under these circumstances is, number one, just get through it. And number two, and I do this every night on stage, try to bring people together. Try to bring like a, a sense of unity. And when I speak on that, I think a lot of people do want to get past this. I think a lot of people do want to unite. But it's we are living through such divisive and div you know strange times it's super frustrating mm -hmm. you know recently um these aftershock shows happened and there was uh, the, uh metallica misfits metallica and i didn't go because um you know metallica management will tell you they live in a bubble backstage nobody goes backstage that's it cut and dry and you know i don't like hearing that but i understand that whole thing but i also didn't want to go masked and sitting in an audience all day because i have a compromised immune system so i just decided you know i have i haven't even gone to any big shows yet one or two of the big shows i wanted to go to and they'll remain nameless um people in uh the road crew or some of the opening act artists they got covid and then you know half the show gets canceled and i thought to myself i don't, I don't know I'm going to stay home and friggin' watch Netflix and make X-rated collages at night. And uh, <laughs> that's my friggin' life, right? And, and I've, I've shot a lot of uh, black and white portraits outdoors. And yeah, I want to do your portrait, Jesse. I did a beautiful yeah. one, Billy from Biohazard, um, uh, Alpha Ministry. I, I constantly shoot my man, Doyle. Yes. Um, you know, um, but the point of this is, uh, I don't even know what the point of this is. There is no that, point, Michael. We're just riffing. Right. We're riffing, <laughs> but that it is, it's, it's tricky. Politics are tricky, uh, you know, on, pe on personal levels, on professional levels. It's all, it's a crazy world that we're living in and nothing is yes and nothing is no. And like I said, we hear different information every day. So I like to just say to, uh, you know, friends, family, just take care of yourself. Be respectful, you know? Uh, when I go out still, um, if I walk down side streets in, in New York City, I take my mask off. Because if it was literally just airborne, we'd all be dead already. But when I see crowds of people on the street, I go to the pharmacy, I go to the grocery store, I put it back on. I don't have a problem with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's to me, it's about the bottom line for me is about being considerate to people. Absolutely. Whether or not you believe everything that's being said, whether or not you buy into the narrative completely, just be considerate. And I don't understand on either side of this issue, why that's so difficult. And it just, again, shows to me how important it is to, to spread love and positivity and try to be a light in a dark world. And it's given me a whole other sense of purpose being out here and seeing that just don't be a dick to people. I mean, how, how hard is that? Whether there's a virus or not, yes. you know, just be human, be respectful, yeah. you know, be kind. 
I always tell people kindness is like a domino effect. You be kind and you hope that everybody else is going to spread that. And uh, that's just what I do. And like people always say to me, well, you know, you never post up politics on social media, honey. There's people who speak about politics much better than I could ever. So all I post online is about music and art and theater and meditation and prayer, whatever prayer means to you. And uh, I always I always keep a positive outlook because I, I just for myself, I can't have it any other way. Don't want it. Don't want it. I love it. I want to go to I want to rest my head on my pillow at night with just a little bit of peace of mind. I love that. Amen, brother. Yeah, I guess uh, I want to circle back because I am actually curious too. You know, we're talking about New York City during the AIDS crisis. And sure. I guess I guess now that we've talked about um, COVID times, do you see any similarities? What was it like? And what were the differences? Sure. What a, yeah. what a crazy well, time yeah. to live through. Oh, yes. Um, I definitely see a correlation. Um, with both pandemics, people have a big time fear uh back then though um at one point you know i drank and drugged a lot i love my vodka i love my jaeger blacked out a lot and i with my bad behavior i acquired hiv fast forward just a little bit i then acquired full-blown aids i had no immune system uh it was effed up and um it was right before any medication came out. So all my brothers at the record companies who got, who, uh, got full-blown AIDS, most of them wound up, most, yes, most of them wound up dying. I had a doctor who was in the laboratories all the time, and she took a big liking to me. Big old lesbian, fabulous. Um, she would ride her bike to my house every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. While I'm lying on the sofa, I wound up, I think I went down to like 70 or 80 pounds. Oh, and wow. she was like, how are you today? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, Barbara. I don't know. She said, you got to hang on. So it was like, if anybody saw Dallas Buyers Club, it was like Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, fast forward just a little. Uh, she said when, one morning, she said, you know, you really should go to St. Vincent's Hospital. And I'm like, I'm not going to any AIDS ward. That will most certainly kill me. I have um, great insurance because I work for Time Warner. Use and abuse that insurance. Um, but I'm not moving. I want you to treat me from my sofa. So at one point, I got vitamin drips, IV. I got something called pentamidine so my lungs wouldn't fill up with fluid. And I was on that sofa for a year and a half. She said, Michael, as your primary care, there's something called um, AZT. I don't want you to take it. I said, Barbara, you keeping me alive? I ain't taking it. Everybody, male, female, who took AZT died from that. So she said, you got to hang on. I hung on. That's beautiful. You're a strong and, man. Uh, I continue. Oh, that was 30 years ago. So, you know, I hung on. And then I, I, I do about a year and a half or so later, I get back to Electra. And, you know, it's the 90s and everybody's talking. And it's like, can we hug Michael? Can we shake his hand? Mm. Of course you can. It's like back in the early 70s when people say, can I sit on that toilet bowl seat? Can I catch something from the toilet seat? Um, 
you know, no, you couldn't catch anything from me. It was a sexually transmitted disease. And uh, so I got back to work and I started taking one of the first, uh, what they call antivirals back then. I think it was called sequinavir. And I got better. And I never had full blown again. Uh, I have a compromised immune system. Thank God for, uh, for all the uh, state-of-the-art medications. I was 32 going through that. And wow. I still drank. Father oh, wanted to. Oh, and wow. I sometimes do a little crack, too. And Barbara, I told Barbara, said, Michael, you are killing yourself. And I knew that. But, you know, when you don't, when you're an alcoholic, you can't tell anybody anything until they really do reach rock bottom. So I reached rock bottom. And um, that was uh, 30 years ago. When I, 30, 30 years ago when I was 32, I'm 62 now. I have no viral load in my body whatsoever. I take one state-of-the-art pill every day. I don't argue with myself. I get to Alcoholics Anonymous every morning on Zoom, seven days a week. That one hour sets my head right. I also don't argue with myself. There's lots of literature out there to read from people who are struggling. And, um, you know, I go seven days a week because the way people help me, I'm here to help others. And, you know, sometimes some of the biggest problems that we have is asking for help. Yep. Ask for help. A lot of our musician friends, we all know them. Actors we know and love have killed themselves because they didn't ask for help. Mm. And, you know, the brain is a very tricky thing. Speaking of tricky things, I, I'm not a doctor. But I know that the brain, we all know that the brain is tricky. And when people want to commit suicide, they don't give a shit. They just do it because there is no light that the brain does something. I have a friend in, 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 in London, her older brother was an alcoholic, three teenage sons and a wife. He said, oh, I stopped drinking. I stopped drinking. One Saturday, the mom, there's the mom is making breakfast for everybody. Like, Who's your father? Oh, I don't know. Is any in the bedroom? No, go, go find your father. He's probably in the garage. He was in the garage. He hung himself that morning. Can you imagine pulling down your dad, the wife and three sons? But it's, that's where alcoholism and drug addiction, when you have a problem, and that's no exaggeration at all, that's where it takes you. It takes you to death. So anyway, Oh, God, I don't want to bring everybody down here, except that's life, you know? Yeah. And when people talk to me, uh, you know, I'm not a legend. I'm not a hero. I am a very hardworking human being. And I, I would have been a cliche of sex, drugs, and rock and roll if I died. But I didn't die. So I'm not a cliche. I, I lived from all of that. And in 2021, I'm living. I live a good life. And uh, so many good things have happened to me because I'm clean and sober. Last week, or maybe, maybe 10 days ago, I was clean 14 years. And the week before that, I turned 62. So, you know, it's all good. I can't complain. I mean, I could complain about <laughs> my, friends, my family, but we're not going to do that. 
That's beautiful. Congratulations, man. That's I mean that cool. that type you. of stuff is an inspiration and I think it's important for people like you to help other people because you can't truly understand a situation until you've lived through it and you've gone mm -hmm. through it. Sure. And that's that's the most powerful testimony. You can hear all day from people about, you know, the dangers of addiction, but if you haven't lived through it and and come out the other side of it, there's no real power behind those words. So I commend you for that. That's awesome. Thank you. You know, it's funny. Um, I think it's funny now because I lived through it. But um, I remember one morning I woke up. I didn't wake up. I came to, as they say. Mm -hmm. I was in New York in my apartment. The next thing you know, I'm in a crack den in New Orleans. I do not know how I got there to this day. I don't know why the airlines let me on the airplane. I was in the worst, like, section of New Orleans. Uh, I was in this, this, this row house until I had no money and they kicked me out. I was walking down the street. I saw this guy and girl. I said, you want to go to the motel? They said, sure. They robbed me of everything except my friggin' boxer shorts and my sneakers. I don't know why I had money in my sneaker and I'm furious now. I'm so high and I'm like rah, 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 walking down the street and a cop car comes over. Sir, do you have ID? I said, excuse me, do I look like I have ID? I just got robbed. He said, step away from the car. And I was like, oh God. He said, um, so where do you live? I said, I live in New York City. And they laughed in my face. They said, you from New York? And you let this shit happen to you? I was furious, but I, I don't know. I didn't want to like start a thing with the, with, the, with the cops. So he said, well, get in the car. And I said, are you taking me home to New York? And he <laughs> said, sir, we're you, are you still staying somewhere? I said, oh, I'm staying at dot, dot, dot street. And he said, well, that's where we're taking you. So it's the middle of the night. The light is coming up. I get to my friends and I fall right out of the back of the, um, the cop car. And there was still a party going on. And Shauna and Phil and Selmo and Sean from White Zombie are like, wait a minute, is that Lago who fell out that, that cop car? And I was like, hi, honey. I fell, I, I walked in, I fell on the floor. I had no idea. Now we can all laugh at that. Now, because, because you survived, yeah, I lived. I would get in cabs at four o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> I blacked out, and I would start fights with the cab driver. Now, cab drivers in New York have seen everything. So at one point, I'd be outside of the cab yelling and screaming. He'd have a baseball bat. What I always say to myself is, "Thank God, in a blackout, I didn't grab his baseball bat and knock the shit out of him." Now, all that behavior. People go, oh, my God, a lot of it was crazy. Yes, I was. But I can, um, I can have a chuckle about that now because I don't drink a drug no matter what. No matter what. And, um, you know, then it was, it was just crazy times. And yeah. I lived through it. And, you know, when people say, you don't drink, like, not even like a, maybe like a little beer. No, I do not. Because one thing leads to another. You know, a 94-year-old mom died four years ago. Thank God I had 10 years clean and sober. I went to Vermont to see my mom. Can you imagine if my mom died and I didn't go? What kind of shit is that? 
No, I had 10 years. She was really ill, 94 years old. And I could see it was at the end. And, you know, the beauty, and sometimes there is beauty in death, um, that uh, when she was going, Take your time, bud. Mm. Yeah, I can't imagine. I was the last one to hug her. And when I was born, she was the first one to hug me. Mm. So it's like a full circle thing. And that's what you show up for. Yeah. So I know as a clean and sober man, I show up for everything. Yeah. You ask me to be somewhere, that's what I do. I am a responsible human being that shows up if you ask me, I show up for your life. I show up for my life. And that's the beauty of, for me of being clean and sober and helping other people, alcoholics, drug addicts, non-alcoholics, friends in need, people who are struggling. <sighs> Sometimes life ain't so easy, mm -hmm. but it's great that we're here. And I have a lot of fun all the time now, again. I mean, I had fun back then, but it was really nuts. It was really nuts. And um, were you known as a wild man in the music industry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you're obviously killing it and signing amazing acts and changing the Listen, face of music. How I never got work, fired but... from working on the first Tracy Chapman record, how I didn't get fired from working on a Metallica record. I mean, I, you know, I did show up for my job. I just didn't show up for my life. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah, yeah. Personal, professional. Was I still knew somewhere here that that was the job I wanted since I was 14 and I wasn't about to F it up. Yeah. So, you know, but you know, people do crazy things when they drink and drug. And um, I'll tell you one more story and then we, we really have to change the subject. <laughs> um, uh, uh, um, I was 32 back then and I was very sick. And my dad wound up getting up, what is that called? Um, uh, in the, in the, like, a, a, a brain aneurysm, brain aneurysm. So I, um, I said, oh, dad, um, I need to borrow your credit cards because I can't pay the rent. And he was like all like in the hospital. And he said, but I, I thought you had a job, Michael. I said, but dad, I, I, I just do. So I borrowed his credit card because on corporate cards, you can't um, take out money. It's corporate card. It's just expenses, it. yeah. Correct. So I used his card for drugs and alcohol. Three days later, he died. Wow. Can you imagine how I felt? My dad died and I just, I robbed my dad at 32 years old. So I went to Hazleton in Minneapolis because Bob Krasnow, our chairman at Electra, said you could pack up your office at five o'clock or you can get help. I went to Hazleton. I was hateful, hateful. I went. And I uh, did the 30-day program, but I was still obstinate. When I got out, I said, I'm going to show you. I don't know what the fuck I was going to show anybody. I stayed what they call a dry drunk. I didn't drink for eight years. And um, I still had to go out every night. I had to entertain lawyers, managers, artists, publishers, uh, you know, local artists. And I did it well, believe it or not. And when I was done with that part, I'd run out and get drinking drugs. So at one point in time, <clears throat> uh, I, I, you know, I was just like, I can't believe my dad died. So I cut up his credit cards 
And uh, I wrote a prayer in a letter to him. And I went to the, uh, there was a temporary uh, stone there. And I went to the cemetery and I brought flowers. And I just, all I could say, what they call in the program is you make amends to somebody. The best thing I could do is cut up the cards, write a beautiful letter, let him know how sorry I am and that I'm going to get clean and sober. And that was the best I could do. Well, fast forward, I had 10 years when my mom got sick and I knew I was going to do everything in my power to be there for my mother. And I was, because she was a cutie. She was this tall and uh, she was funny. She was, she had an identical twin too. They were hysterical. Both. She's in the documentary, right? Your mom? No, I, I, I talk about her, but no, she's not in the documentary. Unfortunately, it's just, it's I, your sister in it. My sister, yeah, Cheryl yeah, yeah. is in my documentary. Yes, that's correct. Anybody anyway. watching this who hasn't seen it, who the fuck is that guy is the name of the movie. And it is, it's just amazing, Michael. Could you regale us with the story of Leonard Skinner? You get a phone call from um, Bill Graham, and he says, can you come down to Jacksonville yes, this weekend? This is an amazing story. No, bit it, of a lighter a, tone. That's a goodie. That's a goodie. That's a goodie. <laughs> and thank so, you for sharing all that stuff oh, with us, Michael. It's, it's all good. It's my life. And I, you know, I want to I wanna let people know that even if you drink and you drug and you ask for help, and if you're serious about getting the help that you need, here we are. Here we are, 2021. Uh, so, yeah, uh, just to tell, let you know, there is a movie out about me called Who the Fuck is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Alago. It was on Netflix and Amazon Prime for three years. My contract is up. It's nowhere to be seen right now. You could buy a DVD on Amazon. Uh, yeah, can you get stuff? it on Apple? Can you get it on iTunes? Can you rent it on there? No, nowhere. Uh, you know, three years is a long time for a documentary to be on Netflix. In any event, the good part about it is always a silver lining with me, you know, because I, I, I always make that stuff happen because I don't take no for an answer. Anyway, so <laughs> Drew Stone, our, our fearless leader, our director, um, we are talking to another distributor. We just signed a little contract with them. And my hopes is that we get on hulu this time that's where i really want to be and uh so i hope we get on one of those big platforms i know we'll get on apple plus i know we'll get on uh uh, uh imdb um so the movie will be out again in the first quarter of next year so that everybody who didn't see the movie and i don't know why they didn't see the damn movie um can see it and um during Amazing. that time yeah during that time period also um I got a book deal and I put out a little book called I Am Michael Alago, Breathing Music, Signing Metallica. Beating Which is Death. also great. And it goes it's, into it's a lot good. more detail it as books good. obviously always do. Yes, yes, yes. It starts in Brooklyn and it ends with my mom. And it, it, it's all good. And I didn't know I was going to feel so emotional today. But, you know, I haven't talked about my mom. And, but, well, I do talk about my mom, but in depth. I haven't had to talk about her in a long time. So my mom is always right here. And uh, I have faith that, you know, she lit candles. Oh, I'm not, she lit candles from a Jew, uh, really Catholic to St. Jude uh, my whole life. All when she died, I guess, when I was 58. So I like to think all those prayers my mom uh, said for me helped keep me alive. Um, and she was a cutie pie. So uh, anyway, yeah, you can get my book. I am Michael Alago. It's available for like 20 bucks on Amazon.com. Uh, so go get the book. And uh, yeah, so um, 
so I could tell you a good story from the book. So that's, I'm working... that's me pointing other people to get the book, Michael. <laughs> get the effing book. Come on. You, you spent $20 on a lot of garbage out there. Get a good book. Make it your stocking stuffer for Christmas. If you're a fan of Metallica, it's a must buy. If you're a fan of sex, drugs, rock and roll, <laughs> yeah. living a good life and um, asking for help and now living a clean and sober life, it's a fun read. It really is a fun read. And uh, so anyway, there is a good chapter. I'm at Geffen Records in Los Angeles. And uh, somebody said, David's calling. And I'm like, oh, my God, what does David want? You know, the, the chairperson. He said, um, call Bill Graham. I said, for what? He said, I don't know. Call Bill Graham. Could you just tell everybody as well, if they don't know who Bill Graham is, because yeah. he's he's a Bill fucking Graham, legend. Rest in peace, was a historic concert promoter. He ran the um, Day on the Green, uh, right? Well, he he did many things. Uh, he managed many art. Oh, God. He, he opened the Fillmore East in New York. Historic venue. He worked on many. Um, live concerts he was he was legendary so if you don't know bill graham you can look up bill graham so i call up bill graham as per mr geffen and i said hi mr graham this is michael alago from geffen he goes call me bill and i said uh okay but i don't think i can he said what are you doing i said i i'm at geffen in la he goes can you come to jacksonville i said uh sure he goes, can you come tomorrow? I said, no, I'm finishing a project, but I can come on Monday. I said, do you mind telling me what this is about? He said, no, I'd like you to come. So like Mr. Geffen, you don't argue with Bill Graham. That's major history, old school. So I said, okay. So I take, I um, fly from New York um, to Jacksonville and Bill Graham and his driver pick me up. Um, they're in the front, I'm in the back. And he just, turns around and he starts talking to me about Jimmy Page and Janice and the concerts at Laura Nero and the concerts at the village uh, at the uh, Fillmore East. And I'm just sitting there being regaled by Bill Graham, not even asking for it. You know, you can't buy that stuff. So we get to a, um, a mall, like, a you know, a mall, M-A-L-L, a mall. And I still don't know what the F is going on. And he, he said, well, we're here. Isn't this mall all shut down as well? Like everything's boarded up and oh my God, not was... a soul in sight. You're like, you describe it in the book as like, like night of the um, dawn of the dead. Oh my God. Whose story is this? He does. <laughs> I love you, Matt, but who's telling the fucking story here? <laughs> We get to the mall. <laughs> the mall is empty, as per Matt. And, um, but thank you, Matt. I, yeah, I love you. It's an um, interesting detail. <laughs> like I wasn't going to tell you the detail. Don't give away the punchline. <laughs> so we get to the mall. It's empty. It really feels like Night of the Living Dead. Lights are on, <sighs> and they are down the whole middle of the entire mall. There were fake green plants. And there was like little fountains. And we thought, this is like an empty place, but there are water fountains, very George Romero. So we, we're walking, we're walking, and we're having, you know, small talk. All of a sudden, 
I hear music. And I'm like, holy shit. This could only be the Allman Brothers or Leonard Skinner. And either or, I would flip right out. And so we get to this little, another little corner and uh, they're playing. So we knock on the door and, and um, the drummer from Leonard Skinner, what is his name? I'll remember in a minute, opens oh, up the door. The hell's his name? Yes. <laughs> we might have to, we might have to look it up. Artemis, Ar Artemis, Artemis Pyle opens up the door there it is. <laughs> and I said, hi, hi, hi. And then Gary Rossington says to me, uh, can you give us a minute? Absolutely. So Artemis comes out and he shows me his, you want to see my scrapbook? Absolutely. <sighs> Little did I know the scrapbook was going to be of the accident. And so the first picture is Artemis with his leg up in a, a hospital bed and pins like hundreds almost hundreds of pins coming out of his leg and i was looking at this scrapbook that was very early skinner including the articles that everybody every newspaper across america wrote about the accident and i was learning as i now i'm in i get back into the little the, it's a really little space and Johnny, the singer, I was in awe. I was like, oh, man, I love your band so much. He said, well, I'm the new guy in the band. And we shook hands and he said he gave me a CD and he said, we're going to play you some songs because we want to be on Geffen Records. So they play me all the new songs. The new songs were very good. And um, I was so happy to be there. And Gary, being the gentleman that he is, he said, you know, thank you for coming to hear our music. And uh, we're going to have dinner tonight. Probably 18 of us, we're going to have dinner tonight. Great. So he says, well, would you like to hear anything else? And like, I turn into this 14-year-old kid from Brooklyn, and I'm like, yes, I want to hear something else. So of course, Gary thinks I'm going to say Freebird. And he's like, well, Two, one, two, three, and I start free bird. And I said, Oh, wait a minute. Do you think anybody ever stopped Skinner from playing free bird? Gonna have to stop you a minute there, guys. That wasn't the one I wanted. <laughs> They're like jamming the best song ever. And you're so, like, it's not my favorite though. Right. So you know, when you hear the beginning of any Skinner song and you hear that Hammond B3, you know what you're listening to. So I said, could you play that smell? And they, yes. again, one, two, one, two, three. And I was sitting on the floor now with my legs crossed, like, <laughs> like I was 14 in Brooklyn and listening to that smell. Now, it don't get no better than that when you have a rock and roll story to tell. Now, Ooh, that smell. <laughs> so good. Um, so that night we all go to dinner and uh, I didn't wind up signing them. You know, we were signing new things at Geffen, whether it's a, a white zombie, a, a Sonic Youth, Beck, Guns N' Roses, uh, uh, Cher, uh, a White Snake, and they just didn't fit in. I was glad they found a home at Atlantic Records. And that's my Skinner Bill Graham story. That's great. That's it's so a good great. one. It is. I feel like it's just, there's such a magical time in music 
you know, and I grew up around it. I was too young to be in it, but, you know, through the 80s and, and uh, early 90s, man, to me, that's just such a magical time of music. I love that so shit. What was your first concert? <laughs> um, so I was a little pastor's kid, a very sheltered pastor's kid. So okay. I, could, I could only go to Christian concerts. So my first concert was a band called Petra, which is like, you know, a, a Christian rock band. Oh, yes. Yeah. But um, my first real like concert that made me go, oh, I love music, was a band from Providence called Kilgore Smudge. They went on to be Kilgore, and that kind of opened the doors to heavy rock and hardcore and, and punk, and that's kind of where I got my gateway was that band and Kilgore. how old were you? Uh, 14 years old. Uh-huh. And as a young person, hearing that, witnessing that, when did you start listening to so much music? This is an unfair question that you started to have favorite bands. It's like saying like, you know, who's your favorite kid? But at a young age, what else did you hear? Yeah, yeah. 14 was the age. That was when I just couldn't get enough. Um, you know, and that was the age of mixtapes. So I had cassette tapes from friends with different bands on it. And um, I heard Minor Threat and Minor Threat was the oh, first boy. band that kicked me in the face. And Good. I thought, I thought to myself, I knew Metallica, I knew Anthrax, my brother was really into those bands, I got into them too, and I enjoyed them, but the first band that made me want to do it, and like I became obsessed with, was Minor Threat, and that just threw me into all kinds of hardcore and punk rock, from, you know, the Misfits, to Negative Approach, to, you know, Operation... Chromags! Oh, Chromags, of course, Chromags, yeah. My favorite. Uh, Agnostic Front, sick of it all, it's just, I head first into that shit uh, at 14. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I couldn't get enough. I was obsessed, and I was the young kid. I was like the Harley Flanagan of Providence. I was the Uh little kid that would get into the shows. I was in my first band at 15, playing clubs like Club Babyhead, The Living Room, Lupo's. Yeah, that I lived at those places from the age of 14 to like 19, nonstop. And so when you say 19, did something happen at 19? That Providence shifted uh baby had closed down and that was kind of the end of an era you know they there was clubs that came after it lupos moved around but to Mm -hmm. me that was the end when baby had closed its doors that was our cbgb's that was the end of it for me like i started traveling and touring with my bands and providence wasn't the same but that was the glory days for me i'll never forget it oh isn't that wonderful yeah great that's wonderful matt i don't know where we're going (laughs) <laughs> this is great occasionally i like to just sit back and you know let the guest and, and jesse oh, really? just since jam when? out and since, since th- just like five minutes ago <laughs> it's a recent thing <laughs> um i want to ask you about this is there anybody in new york that's friends with both john and harley because it seems like there's two camps and i get that it's kind of like you know the divorce and you got to almost choose your parent are you friends of harley do you know harley because i know you and john are very close yeah (laughs) there you go right there smart man smart man (laughs) that's that's the way it goes is it next 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 question no no one quick quickie in harley's defense back in the day i wanted to sign the chromags to electra it's around 1983 i just start there i love harley uh he is also a wildly charismatic crazy motherfucker and he would come to my office all the time i fed him all the time I helped him pay the rent when he needed rent money. Uh, At one point in time, there was a kid that he thought he 
was his. Um, we were friends. I really don't, you know, and and I'm not here ever to give anybody a bad, you know, not name, because they could do that on their own. Anyway, something happened where we just weren't friends anymore. And the reason, one of the reasons I didn't sign Chromax to Electra, even though Chromax were one of my top five all-time favorite bands, is it would have been very unfair, you know, to sign a band like that to a corporation. The corporation would not have understood them. I would have been the only one going out at night. So it's best that 38 years later, I still talk about the Chromax. I still love the Chromax. Um, and yes, there was a divorce with Harley and John. And I just wound up on the John camp. I adore John. I, I know him forever. He is a solid human being. He's an awesome writer. Um, he is uh, a dear friend during the pandemic. He would bring vegan food to my lobby for me almost every day. I'd live for those photos on Facebook. You'd be like, the well, delivery guy's being again. <laughs> we made little one-minute clips, and he would come to Mass. We were both Mass. He'd come to my lobby, and he would call me every name in the book, and I filmed it. <laughs> so we had very people like holding their stomach with laughter. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, he's, a, he's a solid human being. He has two books out right now. Um, one, I believe, is called Unfuck Your Health. And the other one, it has to do with um, recipes. Yeah. He's a great, great vegan chef. Um, so anyway, that's that about them. Yeah, I, I, I had them both on my show, and I found them both to be amazing characters. Yeah, proper and, New Yorkers, you know, like oh, yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, we, and, you know the age, age of Coral. Sorry, sorry, Matt. And sorry. Age of Quarrel is one of the greatest records ever. But I also love the second album, Best Wishes. Yeah. It's more rock, but I love both those records so much. So much. Yeah, it's a band that I definitely wouldn't be who I am without. I mean, I would say them, Agnostic Front and Bad Brains oh. were, were the three that just shaped me oh. and, and yeah. propelled me. Yeah. Very important stuff. Agnostic man. Front. Roger. Are you listening to us? We love you. Yeah. I hope you're healing up because you're part of this great, big, crazy world we all mm. live in. We want to hear more music from you. We love you and we love your family mm. and we love your crazy band <laughs> and uh, loved your documentary. Thank you, Ian McFarland. Yes. And, uh, oh, boy. Now that's a film as well. Again, heartbreaking that one. Made yeah. me cry. I just got yes, goosebumps too. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So anyway, we love you, Roger. And I, I think from last things that I heard, he's he's getting better. Thank God. Yeah, I spoke. I sp yes, I spoke with him a few days ago via Instagram. You did? Yeah, yeah. He's doing. He's doing good. Yeah. All oh, right on. Yeah. Oh, good news. Good news. Yeah, that's a guy that I I yeah I have so much love for that guy. And oh. The few times that I've been able to hang out with him and be around him, he's one of those people. I mean, you could say the same thing about most of these guys. They're just real motherfuckers. They're not. He he is very humble. Yeah, he's so sweet and like st still a badass. Like I, I just have so much respect for him, uh, j just as you a are. human being and sure. a musician. Yeah, wonderful. Hey, Michael, would you mind oh. telling? out making Mina's first solo record with her because she's one of our favorite people. We had her on the show. We love her. She was an amazing guest. She just came on, took over. And, yeah. and that record is so good. And it just kind of got 
overlooked i guess right i wonder if you could tell us about the making of that album and, yes. and just you know her as an artist because she's amazing. i'm gonna get up for a minute but i'm sure you can amuse yourself for 30 <laughs> seconds we got this 30, shut up 30 seconds you take care of business michael you take care no, of business it's not like i have to piss or anything <laughs> sure 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 hold on <laughs> he's gonna grab the record Dude, this is amazing, right? Yeah, it's, this actually reminds me of uh, when we had Stigma on and he left. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was the same energy, isn't it? Hear, yeah. You could hear him yelling at somebody in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, man. Just, I, I can't believe I still have never been to New York. And when I eventually do get to go, I'm going to do the rounds. Are you going to be in New York on the week of the 22nd of March or are you going to be still out on tour then? Why? What's happening on the 27th of, yeah, 22nd of March? Well, my second book's coming out on the 8th, Michael, and okay. um, I'm hoping to do a launch party in New York with Jesse oh. Malin kind of putting like a, a little super group together of a bunch of guests that are going to be in it. And um, yeah, I want to try and do a, la a launch party the week of the 22nd because I'm then going down to Miami to go on a cruise, the Flogging Molly cruise, which I just announced today, actually. So I'm hoping to do New York for a week, book launch party down to Miami cruise then home so um i'll be looking you up michael and if you're around i'd love to go out for dinner with you and i i, I see I your town i most certainly will be around for you of course but i'm going to be shameless for two seconds because you know i love john joseph this is his book hardcore kitchen tons yeah. of fabulous recipes and then his second book is on fuck your health and he really does give solid advice. Check it out. I got on here as well. I yeah, got the first one. The evolution of a Cro-Mag. <laughs> He's getting that triple plug-in. Oh, my God, John. You better be grateful, bitch. And you better, <laughs> you better, you better, get, me, you better get me some more food because I'm hungry. I love you. Hungry. Uh, okay. Yeah. Also, we were talking about- Check this one out as well, Michael. Have you got this one, Sean's book? No, I live under a rock. Yes, hon. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I'm, I'm all that ribbing, hon. It's just teasing. You know? I, love I, love it. I love it. I love it. It's good teasing. It's, yes, it's I, have, good teasing. I have. This is book. an amazing book. We love Shauna. She is my one of my dearest, 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 dearest friends. Har and Phil Anselmo, both of them. I don't know how that got into, <laughs> into uh, talking about him. But um, yeah, I love them both. They both live in, in New Orleans, you know? It's because they were at the party that you rolled up at in the story. <laughs> but Phil, I love Phil with all my heart and soul. We spoke about getting Phil on this show. We'd like to do it. I don't know whether you'd be able to facilitate I, that, would you, Michael? I, I will tell I will tell his wife, Kate, <laughs> that we, you need to do it. And We'd so love to. We'd love to have him on and, and chat to him and hear his story. It would be amazing. So when we write to each other, it, we're mom, huh? Because I'm Ma, M-A, he's Pa, P-A. It's a laugh. Nobody else gets it. It's corny. I don't give a shit. So we were talking about early days when, when Jesse was like nine, all of 19 and he was going to shows and he brought up, um, uh, you know, uh, bands like uh, uh, Minor Threat and uh, that his older uh, brother, I think you said, was listening to more like Metallica yeah, and stuff yep. like that. So I just found these fabulous little cassettes. Wow, look at that. This cassette is that famous underground uh, That's awesome. cassette that was going around and around. Now, this is probably like a, a fourth generation, but it appeared on my desk one day early on. Right. And you know, it blew my mind. What? No life till leather. And I think it's spelled wrong, which is the beauty of it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then many moons later, Lars decided... We're going to put that out again. So 
So they take the cassette and on um, record day, you know, we have that record day here in the States. Uh, I don't know, a, a couple of years ago, they decide they're going to put out that demo again. I love it. It still sells. I was going to say sell, smells. It still sounds like <laughs> shit, but it's historic. It's Metallica. History. And, you know, you know, they're a band that, you know, that sometimes gets, um, they're like, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. It's like a lot of people are like, oh, man, they should have made, you know, like those first three records again. Sure. They could have made Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning and uh, A Master of Puppets again. Doesn't do the artist any good. You don't develop. And, you know, having this 30, that 40 year career is because they took chances. They weren't afraid. They did what they wanted to do. And thank heavens, everybody has gone along for the ride. Mm. Yeah. Were you, were you and Metallica drinking at the same time? Did you have some nights out with them? Honey. The alcoholic yes. days. Yeah. That's why they were called Alcoholica. And me too. <laughs> half, half of those nights I don't remember. I'll tell you a funny story. They play the, they play the Lyceum in London. We're all like, ooh, screaming and carrying on backstage. I want to know if everybody wants to go to dinner. Half of them don't want to go to dinner. Oh, and by the way, rest in peace, Malcolm Dome, Kerrang! Magazine. Yep. I think I met him one of the first days I got to Electron 83. God bless you. He's the, guy, he's the guy who coined the term thrash metal for the first time. There right? you go. Yep. Yes, sir. Malcolm Dome. Okay. We got to give props to all our friends because they can't give props to themselves. And we got to acknowledge the history. So Lars and Cliff, who I adored, uh, we want to go to dinner with you. We go to a very posh restaurant on Neal Street in Soho in London. And we're sitting there. Of course, we were all drinking back then. And, you know, I love champagne and Lars loved all his wines. And all of a sudden I look over and I say, Cliff, we can't snort cocaine in here, please. He said, Alago, quiet down. It's, pur <laughs> it's purple snuff I got at the head shop. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, we just laughed about it. We continued drinking, but it was always something with Cliff. He was um, a marvelous young man. I only had small encounters with him because I signed them in 84 and he was killed in September of 86. But he was a hoot. He was a stellar, as we all know, stellar musician. I, you know, I liken him to one of my favorite musicians, Jaco Pastorius. Mm. I mean, one of a kind. Cliff was extraordinary. I used to say, when are you going to get some new jeans? He would say, fuck off and get me a six pack. Because, you know, he had those, <laughs> what we called back then, elephant bell bottoms. And, you know, covered the whole foot. So I would just jab him about that all the time. I loved Cliff so much. Everybody who encountered Cliff Burton loved him. Mm. What was not to love, you know? Jason's a good friend of yours too, right? Jason is extraordinary. You know, it's because of, uh, you know, when when Cliff passed and uh, the band didn't know uh, what they wanted to do. I don't know, maybe a month or two went by and Lars called me at Electra in New York and he says, I know we want to move forward and Cliff wants us to move forward. We feel that in our hearts. What are we going to do? I said, well, I just signed a band called Flotsam and Jetsam and I don't I don't want to tell you about them. But I got to tell you, there's a young man named Jason Newstead, who is as charismatic 
as all of you, who is that dynamite spirit. He should be in the band. At that same time, Brian Slagle said the same thing. He didn't sign Flotsam. Well, he did uh, an early Flotsam record. What was it? A Doomsday for the Deceiver. And uh, so it came from both parties. And uh, so at some point, Jason went for the audition. We know he killed it. And he uh, was in Metallica for about a good, maybe 15 or 16 years. And that's not without a lot of ribbing Mm -hmm. and a lot of... um, taking like advantage of him and not being kind to him in the early days. And, you know, I always say that, you know, as young people, they never experienced a loss like Cliff in their life. It was their brother. It was their bandmate. And so when Jason got in, it was basically somewhere in here. You're not Cliff. Mm. That's a heavy burden for all four young people to like live with. But anyway, that all passed by. And, uh, you know, like Jason was in the group for a good 15, 16 years. He was an awesome addition. Also a, a, a person who on stage, for me, could do no wrong. And, you know, I use that word charisma a lot because you either got it or you don't. Jesse has that. No, thank you. <laughs> he is, you know, whether I'm listening to uh, the new, I mean, I just lost my brain, so forgive me. Whether I'm listening to, what am I listening to? I have no friggin' idea. Time to grace. grace. Oh, my God. Whether it's the 2011 record, or I just bought the record yesterday on Amazon. Um, or listening to that, or if I'm listening to Kill Switch, this is a person who also is that wildly charismatic person. And you can't buy stuff like that. You either got it or you don't got it. And my man, he has got it in spades. And that's an incredible thing. You cannot buy that. Mm -hmm. James Hetfield has that in spades. You cannot buy what he delivers on the stage. You too. You can't purchase that shit. It either is is, uh, inherent in your heart and soul or it ain't. And now I forgot where I'm going with this. Well, I think I, I could speak to that. I think it's just being real, right? I oh, think, oh, yeah. I think that's what it is. You can either try to manufacture it or you just have it. And to me, I'm just being honest. And I think that's maybe that's what Absolutely. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.